Well, first of all, let me just gush for a minute, and then I will try to engage in a, in a more intelligent conversation. Oh, well, gush away. <laughs> I read um, The Gift of an Ordinary Day right around the time I had my second son. Ah. And um, I... I remember feeling like I just wanted to carry it around with me for the rest of their, you know, the rest of their time in my home so I could remember what I wanted it to feel like to be a mom. You are so sweet. That's lovely. I really love it. And I have given it to to many people. So, you know, I'm having like a little celebrity crush about getting to talk to you. Well, I love knowing that moms of younger children are reading it. yeah, that's just so encouraging to me, and it it means that um, you know just those subtle little shifts that you just make in your awareness or the way that you move through a day they really do make a difference. Katrina Kennison is an author, wife, and the mother of two young adult sons. She's written three books: Mitten Strings for God, The Gift of an Ordinary Day, and recently The Magical Journey. Her books are memoirs. They talk about the journeys of motherhood, of womanhood, and the ways that she has attempted to work out in her own mind and in her own soul the different phases of her life. She blogs at KatrinaKennison.com. To start off this interview with Katrina, I thought I would take a minute to read one of my favorite passages from one of my favorite books, The Gift of an Ordinary Day, A Mother's Memoir. This is from the chapter called Settling. Once upon a time, I took pride in the predictable patterns of our days. Nap times and bath times and bedtimes, finger paints and made-up stories and whole wheat bread baked seven loaves at a time. Spread out to cool on the kitchen counter, those brown, fragrant loaves were tangible proof of the depth of my caring. Later, I taught my sons to cook for themselves. I proofread book reports, vetted movies, played chauffeur to carloads of boys, did my best to impart such homely skills as bed-making and trash-emptying, teeth-flossing and face-washing. Now we're in a different place, and a different time, and I need to be a different kind of mother. A mother who knows how to back off. A mother whose gaze is not quite so intently focused on her own two endlessly absorbing children, but who is engaged instead in a rich, full life of her own. A mother who cares a good deal less than she used to about what time people in her household go to bed, what they eat for breakfast, whether they wear coats or not, and what they choose to do or not do with their own time. A mother who, though her protective maternal instincts run as fierce and deep as ever, manages in all but the most extreme moments to keep those instincts in check. A mother who trusts in who her children are, even if they aren't exactly who she thinks they ought to be. Who keeps faith in their futures, even when the things they do and the words they say give her pause in the present. A mother who remembers above all else that the greatest gift she can give to her two wildly different, nearly grown sons is the knowledge that no matter what, she loves them both absolutely just exactly as they are. This is Parenting Reimagined a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. 
Well, I've written three books, and although I didn't intend to do that, I realize as I look back at them that there really are common themes, and what I seem to really write about is an awareness of the passage of time and the fact that we, the, the present moment is the only one we have. We can't get days that we've lived back. We can't predict or shape the future. The only thing we have to work with is right now. And that if we race through life, we miss it. So really my theme um, has been pa- family life and parenting and living with children and then more recently learning how to live without them um, under the same roof. But it's also been very much about that awareness of this is what we have. This is life right now, um, the texture of this moment, and how do we fully appreciate it and live in it, even when it's challenging, even when it's not the moment that we would perhaps choose to be in, but it's where we are. That's kind of an overview of my three books. The most recent one is Magical Journey, which I wrote out of that very raw and tender place I found myself in after my youngest child had gone away to school. Would you begin by introducing yourself and just saying a bit about your family? Right now, my boys, Henry and Jack, are 23 and 20, so we're really in a very new stage with two young adults. Wow. Um, It's hard to believe that the baby is 20. (laughs) Henry just graduated from college last spring, so he is, you know, facing life out in the real world, trying to cobble together jobs. I said to my husband yesterday that I graduated from college, took a job at Macy's in the lingerie department um, that I knew would be temporary, wrote one letter, sent it to one publisher, got a job. And I don't think I ever did another resume or applied for another job again. And in the last couple of months, Henry's applied, I I can't even keep track of how many letters he's written, how many resumes he's sent out, how many jobs he's applied for. So it's just a really different world that our children are coming of age in. Mm -hmm. And Jack heading off to college in the fall. So he took took a year off. He graduated from high school last year, um, had some health issues, two broken vertebrae in his back, and um, it's been a really interesting and really challenging year for him, getting ready to go to college and just kind of regrouping. Having a bit of a restart. Yeah, yeah. Not his first restart, but... <laughs> One of the narratives that that I have seen in in my reading of your books is this theme of acceptance, of both accepting your children for who they are and accepting yourself for kind of where you are and how you're feeling and and those kinds of things. And I wonder why that theme has been so significant for you and and maybe how it's been tested. I have a very good friend whose her children grew up with my children, were really close. We were neighbors. And although she has certainly faced challenges as a mother, her children have just followed a path, you know, from childhood, music lessons, sports, great high school careers, number one son off to Harvard, number two son entering Harvard, third child completing high school. I mean, 
they've just never questioned the path that they were on. They've never struggled and they've had these really great lives and they're great kids. And both of my sons, for different reasons and in different ways, have really forged their own paths and they've been challenging um, for them and therefore challenging for us as parents. And so I feel that they really have been my great teachers in acceptance, surrender, letting go, faith. And I wouldn't change anything about these paths because I think that, that they've shaped us. They've made us stronger and more resilient. And my younger son, Jack, in particular, had a very tough year. He was at a school that he loved. He got caught drinking two months before graduation with friends. They were on a tennis team trip in a hotel on a beach in Florida. You know, pretty typical senior year of high school activity, but he happened to get caught and got thrown out of school two months before graduating. He was president of his class and star Mm -hmm. of the tennis team. And suddenly he was home. He also had two broken vertebrae. He had been playing tennis through a lot of pain, but was so committed to his team and to his senior year and um, this vision that he had of, you know, leading his team to victory that he just took a lot of ibuprofen and kept kept playing. So not only was he home, but um, he was in horrific pain and x-rays revealed that he had two broken vertebrae and basically had to stop moving not do anything and in the hope that they would heal and these kinds of injuries often don't heal so he defines himself as being an athlete and he was facing the possibility that he would never ever play sports again his college acceptance he had gotten an early decision to his top choice school but that got rescinded after he got thrown out of school so all these things piled up and he had to deal with them and we just had dinner with him last night And he was able to look back on this whole year and say, the only way I can look at this is to say it was all a good thing, that it made me grow up, that it was good that it happened, that I know a lot more now than I knew then. Um, His back has healed. He's reapplied to college. He graduated from high school. He's got a great job. He's lived on his own. Hard as it was, I don't think we would change anything. But it's meant that you know, he's taken a path that has that has taught us all something about having faith and surrendering and letting go. Hmm. And being patient, too, it sounds like. Yeah. Your books are memoirs. They're narratives about your experience as a mother and your experience in your family. And I, I guess I'm wondering what it's been like to share yourself so intimately with an audience of strangers. I've definitely taken risks. I've allowed myself to be quite vulnerable, in, especially in these last two books, in The Gifts of an Ordinary Day, in which I really pour a lot of the pain and confusion that I felt as a mother of teenagers onto the page. Um, and then perhaps even greater risks in Magical Journey, because I really thought that the act of writing The Gift of an Ordinary Day was preparation for the next stage that my children would grow up. They would leave home. They would go on to lead these independent lives, and suddenly I would have all this time, and I would have appreciated our time together and be ready to just dive into the next stage of my life, and I don't think I was quite prepared for how challenging that would be. 
so, yes, I have taken a risk myself in just revealing um, my own vulnerability, but also in writing about my children and their journeys. But I think it's important to remember that a memoir is essentially a curated version of life. It's all true. Everything that I write about happened, but it's not a blow-by-blow accounting. And so although I share some, I guess you could call them bullet points of my son's lives and some glimpses into their struggles and some snapshots of our journey as a family, there's a lot that's left out. So it's a fine line to walk between observing and honoring a family member's privacy and also creating a narrative that's really telling a story. In each case, I offered the manuscript before I sent it to the publisher to everyone in my family because to me, my relationships with my children, with my husband, are much more important than any story that I might write or publish. And they all have different responses. I think what we all agree on is that although we've all lived together and shared a family life under one roof, each of us would have a different story to tell. I happen to be the one that's writing it down. Henry made some small corrections in The Gift of an Ordinary Day. Steve read it and kind of went, huh, so that's what you've been experiencing and thinking. I think it came as <laughs> a bit of a surprise to him. Jack didn't choose to read it, but it was interesting when the book came, he picked it up, and the first chapter that he turned to was the chapter about the, him wearing the black sweatshirt when he was in seventh grade. And he just kind of said, oh, Mom, I can't believe you wrote about that black sweatshirt. Everyone's going to think I was a goth in seventh grade. But what was funny was he was so far beyond that black sweatshirt stage by the time the book came out because, you know, a couple of years in a kid's life is a very long time. And he barely remember it. And he can look at it now and see it as kind of a funny stage that he went through. Um, so it was it was okay with him. And... With the most recent book, um, that really is about me. It's not about the kids so much. There's a prologue that's about Jack. Um, I gave it to him to read, and his response to that was he read it, and he was just quiet. So later he told me, you know, I kind of wish you hadn't written about it. But again, it was so far in the rearview mirror. By the time the book came out, he had long since graduated from high school. So... There's a, there's a distance that the publication process affords us. I've also promised everyone in my family that I would not publish anything that would surprise them without them having a chance to have a look at it first. Yeah. I wonder what writing the books has done in terms of connecting you with other mothers and other families who connect to something in your story and, and write to you and in a way, maybe you've become kind of a leader among mothers, something like that? Perhaps a little bit, but maybe even more um, someone who has cleared a space for mothers to talk about how difficult it is, how difficult it is to be a mom, to be a mom of um, young children, teenagers, young adult children, and You know, what we tend to put on Facebook, what we tend to talk about in groups is 
the good stuff, like, oh, my kid is going to this college or that college or is captain of this team or that team or did really well on the SATs. And it's wonderful to be able to celebrate your children's accomplishments. Um, But we don't really have a space in which to talk to each other when things aren't going well, when we're struggling. Um, And so we tend to think, well, I'm the only one who feels this way. No one else is having a hard time. Everyone else's life is more together than mine. Um, Just the way I think our kids often feel. They look around at their friends and they feel, well, everyone else knows what they're going to do with their lives and everyone else is doing fine. I'm the only one who's scared or I'm the only one who's struggling. I think perhaps my books have opened up a conversation. That, so that feels very true. I'm myself a parenting expert, so I'm a little bit uncomfortable when people write me asking for advice, as they do. But more and more what I get are letters from mom saying, I feel that you wrote what's in my heart, or if mm-hmm. I was a writer, this is what I would put down on paper too. And I'm glad that someone has given voice to my struggle or has written about all of the things that have been going through my own mind or that I've been experiencing. So there's definitely a great sense of connection and community. And that, to me, has really made it worth it because no one wants to feel like they were the only one. And actually, as I was writing The Gift of an Ordinary Day, there were many times as I was writing it that I wondered if anyone else would be interested. And I thought to myself, well, everyone's children grow up and leave home. Are people going to look at this and think, why does this woman need 300 pages to work through her feelings about it? And I would send pages, um, chapters off to my mother and say, well, do you think anyone will be interested in this? And she would read them and she'd write me back and say, well, I'm interested, but I know you. So that wasn't that encouraging. (laughs) It was really a surprise when the book came out and I started getting letters from mothers. A wonderful surprise. Your most recent book, The Magical Journey, and you're writing about the challenges of transitioning through, what's the term you use, the fertile void, the season after children leave home. And I've talked with with many women, my own mother included, who have found that stage to be incredibly difficult. Um, Would you maybe say a bit about what you've learned or how you've navigated that now that you have even more distance from the initial leaving? Yeah, well, I think it's a place that we find ourselves in without a lot of preparation. And we live in a culture that is so much about stay busy, get over it, move on, keep going. I feel like the most important thing that I did, and it wasn't totally consciously at first, but I was very sad and I felt a little lost. And part of it was that I was suddenly at home without children. And so this role of full-time, 24-7 mother that I had defined myself by for so long had come to an end. But I had also just lost a very dear friend to cancer. So the emptiness was, was profound. And it was at every level, physical, emotional, And I was grieving, and at a certain point, I decided that I was just going to take the time to grieve, (laughs) uncomfortable as that was. And there were many days where I sat and just allowed the tears to flow. And that's not something we get 
much encouragement to do. And I, I feel looking back that it was a really important part of the process was to take the time to mourn for what had come to an end um, for this chapter in my life and a chapter in every mother's life, to honor it by acknowledging how important it was, how sad it is to have it come to an end, how confusing it can be to realize that our old roles um, are outgrown and our old responsibilities have fallen away, and to give a lot of space to that what next question, not to just leap in and try to fill up the empty space with busyness and errands and distractions. I think that in the process of actually moving through our feelings rather than turning away from them. That's how we do get to the other side. We find ourselves in a new place where suddenly we're excited about something and something new is taking shape and growing. And it's something that is meaningful and that really connects with who we are as opposed to maybe just busyness. And how has that void transformed you? I mean, what what does life look like now? What does it look what does it feel like inside as you have walked through that void longer? It feels like a really good place to be. My life mm-hmm. is really full and rich, and there are lots and lots of things that I'm excited about doing. And, of course, writing the book uh, was its own journey and its own process. And then in the last few months since it was published, I've been on the road a lot and talking to lots and lots of women And that in itself has been incredibly gratifying to realize there are a bunch of us here on the backside of child rearing and to see what women are doing with their lives and to have these conversations um, has been incredibly energizing. And to watch my own sons now who come and go from home um, as young adults and we've really created new relationships with them as young adults. And so it's great when they're around. And it's always hard to say goodbye. And yet, it's not as if our lives are empty when they're not here. I mean, we have a lot going on. I'm, I began teaching yoga. I have my blog that I write. I do Reiki volunteer work. And one thing that I found that I'm sure other mothers experience too is we have all of this maternal energy that we've been devoting to children for all these years and once we have an opportunity to look up and out beyond our own four walls we see the world is very much in need of that maternal energy and there are the places that welcome it and our children are you know happy to have a little bit of benign neglect at this stage and yet there are friends and you know, the work that I do at the hospital, it's, it's just loving touch, healing touch. And so I may not be giving a back rub to a son every night, but I can go to the hospital and put my hands on people who are very eager for that connection. I love that picture of, of reinventing the ways that you're, you're exhibiting your maternal energy. But it, it doesn't go away because your children move away, but it... In some ways, it, it gets rechanneled, gets given out yeah. into the world in a way that the world maybe really needs. Yeah. yeah. So, so reading your books, I get the sense that spirituality has been an important part of your life. And one of the things that I like to ask guests on the podcast is 
to talk a little bit about how parenting has sort of reshaped their faith or their view of God? Well, I think being a parent is a daily reminder of how little we can actually control. And so the flip side of learning to let go is deepening in faith. It has been for me. Um, because there have been, there are so many times where we have to accept that what's happening is out of our hands. But what we can do in those moments and what I do in those moments is pray, is to say, okay, there's nothing I can do here except to try to collaborate and work in concert with whatever you want to call it, God, source, spirit, the divine, those forces that are much larger than I am, and to open myself to that and to just envision the best outcome, which is not something that I can dictate or even always describe, but I can try to work toward just by opening myself to it, putting my faith into those, those forces and those energies. A lot of times, especially during the teenage years, I really, that's when my meditation practice really deepened because I thought, well, there's really not much I can do at this moment except to sit here, put my hands together, take long, deep breaths, and envision the best for all of us. And let that be enough. And let that be enough, yeah. Have faith that it is enough. Um, And that's very, it's a very calming practice because it does connect me back to my own still center and it's a way of just reaffirming my faith, not only in God, but in my children, my faith in their yeah. journeys, which are mysterious to me. And they are not mine to dictate or write for them. You know, their paths are their own, their journeys are their own. And I know that what they need most from me is faith in those paths. This is a really big question, but what have you found to be most deeply satisfying in your life as a mother? It is a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have loved being a mother um, every bit of it. You know, there are certainly days that I would not want to relive and nights of worry that I would not want to return to. But I think that what has defined me as a mother from the very beginning, from the very first day that I held my older son in my arms, was a profound awareness that nothing lasts, that every moment is turning into the next moment, and that we're in this constant state of change and flux. And that's kind of a blessing and a curse, because it means that I feel everything very deeply, but I also think that that awareness has made me cherish every bit of it. So somewhere along the way, I realized that, yeah, it's wonderful to go to a piano recital or to watch your kid pitch a great Little League game or um, to stand there at college graduation. I mean, those are the high points, and they're fabulous. But what I've always cherished the most are those perfectly ordinary days where not much happens, where we're all just here hanging out, just the kind of gritty texture of ordinary, everyday life. And I know from hearing from many, many parents who have lost children that 
that's what they grieve and that's what they miss most of all and that's what they would give anything to have back. And um, I, I live with that awareness that every, every single day that we have with our children is a precious gift. So I can't, I can't say that I love any bit of it more than any other bit. I just, I just cherish it all. Hmm. What do you hope for your sons? That they, too, will have that awareness. Well, maybe that, they, that their definition of happiness will also be more connected with who they are than with what they do, with the kind of people that they are and the way, the choices that they make in their own everyday lives. You know, of course, I want them to have jobs and support themselves, and that's, that goes without saying, but to feel good inside about the people they are, the human beings they are, and to feel that they are loved and accepted and seen and cherished for the people they are is my great hope for them. And I feel like that's also been my job as their mother is to not change them, but to see them and love them and accept them for the amazing, unique individuals they are. Well, I think those are the end of my list of questions, but is there anything else that you want to say or talk about? Maybe just going along with what we were just talking about. um, A friend of mine was visiting in the winter and we were taking a walk and her children are, she says three, just a little older than mine. And what we were marveling at as we both looked back at our mothering journeys thinking of all five of our children from the time that they were little babies to now. And she said something that really struck me. She says, you know, I can look back at them and realize that they are exactly the same people. And we started to kind of pick this apart and think about how each of our children at age two, at five, at eight, at 13, at 18, at 20 are the same people that they've always been and that our real job as parents hasn't been to shape them, mold them, change them, fix them. It's been to understand them and to work with work with each of them as individuals and love them each for who they are and to help them understand, okay, this challenge that you have, that's part of your wiring. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just you how do we just bring out the best in our children and bring out the best in ourselves? So I think that has been such a large part of my education as a human being and as a parent. I think it's Parker Palmer, the Quaker author, who writes about babies being born sort of endowed with their own, I forget his language around it, but their own divine Mm. souls, their own, you know, their own selves and that, it's the experience of living in this world where we get bumped around and, and scarred and damaged, but it's it, we start really pure. Yeah, and, yeah, and there is that essential someone who is there from the very beginning, and, um, and that essential someone can get battered around, you know, bumped and bruised, and, but there's always that inner shining being, and through my son Jack's difficult years, um, I remember a friend saying to me, just keep sight of what is best in him. 
And that was really helpful to remember that underneath even the worst behavior, there is that scared, confused, beautiful human being that that's always there. And our role as parents is to protect and love and nourish that. Exactly. To stay connected to that, to believe in that, to keep seeing that. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. So look at your children at two and six and just you can think, okay, whatever it is that their challenges are now are going to be the same challenges when you're 12 and 16 <laughs> and 22 and 36. Um, so I can't change them, but I, I can learn to work with it. <laughs> right, I've got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah figure it out, exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of a relief to realize, okay, that's not my job, you know. My job yeah. is to just um, love this little person who arrived on the planet. This is who they are. This is my child to love. And even as you said that, it felt a little bit of a relief to me in the sense that it's not going to be that surprising. Like if I really learn them now and watch them now, then I'm sure there will be many surprises in their lives, but who they are will not be so surprising. Right. And I think then it's also easier to have faith. To say, okay, this is not up to me. You know, they are going to have their journey. And I just have to believe in them and believe that everything that happens is, this is the way it's meant to be now. This is the way things are. It's the way things are meant to be. And I just need to find a way to work with it. Mm. Yes. It takes a lot of pressure off. Off our kids, yeah. too. Off ourselves and off our kids. And I think, you know, what do our kids want? They want us to be secure, content, moving forward in our own lives. And, you know, back to the fertile void for a moment. I think as midlife women, midlife parents, the best gift we can give our children is to be really happily engaged in our own lives. Because they are. I mean, they want, and they want the same for us. It's been really really fun, I think, even in my own life with young children, to also show them how much I'm enjoying my life. That I love my work and that I love going out on dates with their dad. And, you know, that, that, like, all parts of life are really enjoyable. Right, exactly. I remember Jack saying once when I was hurrying him out the door, he was about, I don't know, five or six, and he was always late and never organized and certainly not at five or six and, you know, trying to get his shoes tied and his jacket on and find the mittens. And he just looked at me and he said, Mom, is it any fun being a parent? (laughs) (laughs) I think he knows now that we've all all had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That becomes clear. Yeah. It's been lovely to talk to you. Yes, thank you so much for your time and for being willing to do this. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this interview with Katrina Kennison. I hope you found it as encouraging and as insightful as I did. Stay tuned next week for another fantastic interview with a parent who is thinking differently, doing differently, and pressing in to this journey of parenting. To end, I'll leave you with yet another short passage from The Gift of an Ordinary Day. A heart full of love, 
That is the constant, the only thing that's never changed, the only thing that never will. Love is the infinite, durable strand that's woven itself through all the days and nights of our shared past and will wind its way uninterrupted through our unknowable futures, no matter how much life separates us, no matter where my son's journeys may ultimately lead them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting. Parenting.